Hello? Anybody home? Today, I want you to open your mind. I've almost come to the conclusion that the story is so damning that the mass of people can't deal with it. We are in process of developing a whole series of techniques to get people actually to love their servitude. We face a hostile ideology, global in scope, atheistic in character, ruthless in purpose and insidious in method. For we are opposed around the world by a monolithic and ruthless conspiracy that relies primarily on covet means for expanding its sphere of influence. To change the minds and the attitudes and the beliefs of the people of the world, and especially the United States, to bring about one world socialist totalitarian government. The potential for the disastrous rise of misplaced power exists and will persist. It has patterned itself after every dictator who has ever planted the ripping imprint of a boot on the pages of history since the beginning of time. If you can get people to consent to the state of affairs in which they are living, then you have a much more easily controllable society than you would if you were relying wholly on clubs and firing squads and concentration camps. Tools of conquest do not necessarily come with bombs and explosions and fallout. There are weapons that are simply thoughts attitudes, prejudices, to be found only in the minds of men. The military-industrial complex not only controls our government, but they control our culture. As you connect the dots between different people, organizations, places, religions, history, suddenly the picture starts to form. If you don't connect the dots, it's just a mass of what's all this about. The kingdom of God is within man, not one man, nor a group of men, but in all men, in you, you the people have the power to make this life free and beautiful, to make this life a wonderful adventure. Someone born in the United States is not more special than someone born in Mexico. Someone who is white is not more special than someone who is black. They're just vehicles for the consciousness to experience. Brutes have risen to power, but they lie. They do not fulfill that promise. They never will. Dictators free themselves, but they enslave the people. War is peace. Freedom is slavery. Ignorance is strength. They do not want your children to be educated. They do not want you to think too much. It was learned that the aliens had been and were then manipulating masses of people through secret societies, witchcraft, magic, the occult, and religion. They reach into our children in music, television, books. Prey on children's innocence. How can I disprove lies that are stamped with an official seal? So if you have the opportunity to stand next to one of these machines, it feels like an altar to an alien god. The Army Air Forces has announced that a flying disc has been found and is now in the possession of the Army. You can deny all the things I've seen, all the things I've discovered, but not for much longer, because too many others know what's happening out there. And no one, no government agency has jurisdiction over the truth. Any state, any entity, any ideology that fails to recognize the worth, the dignity, the rights of man, that state is obsolete. A case to be filed under M for Mankind in the Twilight Zone. It's about time some of you got acquainted with the real hard truth. Freedom is the privilege to be right. Freedom from the disasters of our mistakes. It's the heart that says, I will not acquiesce. Across the gulf of space, intellects, vast and cool and unsympathetic, regarded our planet with envy. 
exercise. Perception is the key, and the heart yeah. is the solution. Heart perception will change everything. I'm Ryan Gable, your host, and you're listening to The Secret Teachings on The Fringe FM. If you'd like to contact The Secret Teachings, you can email us at rdgable at yahoo.com. Find us on social media at facebook.com forward slash The Secret Teachings. And check out our website, www.thesecretteachings.com. Dot info where you can find our full show archive, the montages, and my books all at thesecretteachings.info. Tonight, Jared Murphy is joining us again on the broadcast. He's the author of It's Not Aliens. It's actually worse than that. It's Us. Well, that's not the name of the book. It's Not Aliens, Worse. It's Us is the name of the book. Discovering Our Lost History. You can find his book on Amazon and other places. This book is sold. It's published by... Someone else that you might know from Paranoia Publishing, Olav. Not had Olav on the show before, but we, we hung out with Olav a little bit at Contact in the Desert last year. And Jared is here to talk with us tonight about a different subject, but a similar subject to what we talked about last time. Dealing with archaeology, we talked about engineered soil last time. But when we got together last time, we and actually the first time we got together on Lighting the Void, I did a, a uh, guest host. For Joe Roop when he was out of town and Jared and I hit it off. We started talking. We realized we had a lot in common, especially for radio. We both have a lot to say and a lot to talk about. And we were thinking about what to discuss on this show. And I was thinking about the anomalous artifacts. These are always like some of my, my favorite things to talk about when we talk about history or archaeology or ancient man. And the last time I actually read a whole book on this was a book by a friend of mine called Elder Gods of Antiquity. It's written by M. Don Shorn. And I actually pulled this book out. Don has been on the show, I don't know how many times, countless times. Um, got to spend some time with him in Florida where he lives uh, a couple of years ago as well. And he's got a chapter on anomalous artifacts. So I went back and looked at that. And he's got some of the same things in his book that Jared has in It's Not Aliens, Worse, It's Us. And it's for, from the Baghdad Battery and the Clay Babylonian Tablet. Plimpton 322, which was something that until I read part of Jared's book, thus far just part of it, I had not heard of Plimpton 322, to the uh, Greek mechanism that looks like a gear, and I'm not sure if I pronounced this right, the Antikythera, Antikythera, I think it's Antikythera mechanism. We find all this incredible evidence of advanced human civilization, perhaps far surpassing our own by many metrics. With these and other finds, there's a question of whether these finds are out of time or I would submit another question, are they more so out of belief, considering that popular opinion either dismisses them outright or assigns their existence to ancient astronauts or ancient aliens, which is all right, we can talk about it and it's not to dismiss the subject of extraterrestrials or aliens or whatever you want to call them, but of the evidence that we have on Earth whether, again, it's the Baghdad battery or it's engineered soil, like Jared talked about last time on the show, something that's literally beneath our feet we don't recognize at the base of some of these incredible structures that we usually say, 
maybe the aliens built that. I don't think ancient man built that. It's just another way. I don't know. Maybe you disagree with this, but it's another way to kind of leave humanity in the, in the hands of some theological. It's like a theological. Uh, it's like a dogma, like alien gods, um, or in the hands of scholars who just wish to maintain institutional respect rather than discover what really happened in the past. And if you read Jared's book, I have not finished the entire thing yet, but I've talked with him a lot. And I've also had similar viewpoints, although I'm not as well versed as he is, which is why we're having him on the show. But I've got similar viewpoints on this that in all likelihood, it's not actually aliens. It's probably just us. Is that right, Jared? Jared Murphy, welcome back to the show. Thank you so much for having me back on. So is it is it aliens or is it something else? Is it really us? Do aliens not exist? What, what, what are you saying with that title? And then I want to get into yeah. some of this other stuff. Yeah, and right away, that's exactly the point is that we are we keep missing the facts and the ground. We label them right from your beginning, whether it's the Babylonian Plumpton tablet or the Antikythera device or just uh, the Baghdad battery. This is about our history being robbed, literally just in a narrative that says, well, there's a bunch of out of place, out of time artifacts because clearly we're as advanced as we've ever been. And there is just so much evidence. If we just start with the facts and the ground and if we just unpack just a couple things, including these things that we just opened with, it looks way more likely that there was an advanced human race here that likely survived a natural and also possibly a weaponized catastrophe where they fought. And of them, they survived, not all of them, but clearly enough to make an impact in the sense that we see today what we call UFOs that are not accepted as military UFOs, definitely UFOs that are what we, at least from a perception standpoint, would like to credit with being from another galaxy or another planet, but the likelihood is, is that an advanced segment of the human race, based on the evidences that are left, not just in the ground, but genetically and in large megalithic structures, indicate that there is a surviving advanced human race that chooses or doesn't choose to interact with us in a positive or not so positive way. And we, we have um, uncontacted tribes of people that live today and we're here with our toilet paper and our smartphones. And, you know, I, I think what it was it a couple of years ago, they killed that missionary with the, oh, uh, yeah. remember that? Singalis. Yeah. So, so that's not, I don't think too far of a stretch. I don't think it's a stretch at all to consider that there might be more advanced humans that are still in existence today. And they may look at us in the same way that we look at, the, uh, at those people in the uncontacted tribe. Yeah. Cause there's a point where we're like, okay, well, we're respecting the way they live. We may not even agree with it, but we leave it alone. And there's a lot of traditions in third world countries. There, there are traditions that we do not. I mean, there are literally still people stoning each other to death for marrying into the wrong tribe or, you know, uh, sex out of wedlock. I mean, we are not very far out of the stone age when it comes to social relations. So for uh, an advanced human race, or even a first world nation that has the benefits of, you know, I'm upset my Hulu doesn't work versus the <laughs> tribe living in the jungle that doesn't ever see a dentist. I mean, we, we clearly have some boundaries. 
you know, it also puts it into perspective too, because there there are people that still stone or get stoned to death for th- types of things like that. Or um, we look at our political system and political correctness. I know this is a separate issue, but people are really upset that a woman would dare want to raise a child and a man would dare want to ask a woman on a date. And we consider this like toxic masculinity and oppressive to women. And I just, I, I, I feel like our civilization is just a little bit more socially advanced than those that you're talking about that kind of are still in the stone age. It puts things into Actually, perspective. Oh, well, not only do you bring up a big, uh, good point, but in all the interviews I've been doing, I actually haven't, uh, it's such a good point that I kind of want to bring up that I almost in the book, it was really hard for me in making that comparison to really help people understand how is it that this advanced human race could exist and leave us alone. And I was about to just go and I, I'll be honest, in a rough draft, I went into a tirade about uh, genital mutilation of girls in Africa. Um, this is not okay. And uh, it's on a political note, but and of all the things to talk about, but uh, this is a practice that was uh, even found in Minnesota because of we have a large import of um, an African population that this is a tradition that's part of their society. And this is something that was found out that there were actual medical doctors helping continue this barbaric practice of mutilating women. And this is something that's not just done in the third world. These traditions are mindsets that don't leave certain cultures. And uh, hearing about, you know, whether you're gay or whether you're uh, uh, just, I mean, nothing even, and that's not supposed to be extreme, but there are parts of the world where they're throwing people off of buildings for being gay. And then you have uh, this whole example of just simply, I remember in the news uh, two years ago, I was part of my book, I was writing and a guard, uh, this is an actual, uh, this is a Pakistani guard had fallen in love with a uh, girl from a province and a tribe that they ended up stoning a military guard to his death along with the girl because they were in love. It was that simple. And this is the world we live in now. I mean, there are people still convicted in some countries in the Middle East for sorcery and witchcraft. I mean, you can't make this shit up. It's oh. well, what about what about? OK, so then you also if if we talk about this for a second, it, it brings something to my mind. It makes me think one. It makes me think of circumcision as well, because that's oh, yeah. a, that's a very ancient practice. But it also oh, yeah. it also makes me think, Jared, like you're talking about in your book, it's not aliens, it's us, like these anomalous artifacts. And that's kind of what we were going to focus on. But what about cultural artifacts? Aren't those practices the cultural artifacts of ancient civilizations, traditions? Yeah, and and you have to wonder what was the, you know, when people think of conspiracies, they think of the big uh, gray state, stuff like that. And there's uh, uh, Illuminati's and and the church and stuff like that. Cabals. As far as... Yeah, the, the general overhead, overarching Da Vinci sort of stuff. But the control, sexual control, 
uh, not that we're digressing, but that cultural control, I always try to separate. One of the hardest things to do in four years of research was to separate people get super excited about the standard cabal mystery Illuminati stuff. And then you have to look back at these cultural traditions where reading between the religious practices and the traditions of it, why would you want to go? Well, the the no brainer about controlling people's sexuality is that it creates disconnection. It creates an ability to control people because if you don't let them know that they're actually on their base level, a loving, kind and inclusive people that irrelevant to being straight or gay or anything that the natural state of humanity is to actually love and care for each other by, you know, circumcision, female circumcision, which is a polite word for really, truly mutilation and I mean, desecration of the female body but the idea and i know this is not where we are going but the cultural uh this practice does something that i think is not just mechanical or genetic uh in the sense not that it changes you being from a girl or a guy for being circumcised either way what it does is it helps disconnect you from the natural uh, intense feelings that you have mechanically with your organs also with your mind and your spirit with how you connect to another person and i think it was a very elementary way of controlling people well, you on know, a base level you know what too jared I, I don't think it is digressing much because i think with with cultural artifacts and if you're talking specifically about like these sexual customs and destroying that that feeling and that 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 um that innate desire and things like this in human beings Archaeology today kind of does the same thing with our history. It just kind of mutilates our understanding of the past, does it not? Oh, graphic. You're going there. Good for you. That's it. It's just <laughs> it's deer season, so let's gut this subject like a pig or a deer. Um, I agree. It's you're right. It's just uh uh you know, the the whole point originally when we were well when we were looking at this like the Baghdad battery, uh for those that don't know, it's a battery that was found in near Baghdad that is part of a society that's approximately, you know, it was found to be at least 2,000 years old, but it was possibly created over a volt of current that was able to help maybe electroplate uh, simple items, statues, and create just a, a metal finish. But it's not just one. There were five found and of all the batteries that were found, they were part of a collection, to your point, where there's just archaeologists themselves not tabling facts that don't fit with theories. So you get what the distinction and what we're, what your very, the zero end point is. Archaeologists are gutting history by finding objects like this, and they think they're basically, uh, I, I'm gonna. I guess I'll give you the quote from Dr. Paul Craddock. Uh, this is a metallurgist from the British Museum, and the quote from my book goes like this: "In quotes, the batteries have always attracted interest as curios." That's the first start of his statement. Then here's the rest: "They are a one-off. As far as we know, nobody else has found anything like these. They are odd things. They are one of life's enigmas." And that's that that in that statement it's very dismissive and generalized yeah and and even if you take everything he said out of context and uh and there's some other context to it 
the statement kind of, I think, is blaring and to the point of exactly what's happened with archaeology, which is there was a theory by Darwin, there was a theory by early Victorian archaeologists, and every fact we find in the field has to fit this theory, yet it doesn't remotely take an expert. It takes pretty much anybody with a cell phone and the ability to travel to Europe or Malta or Egypt or South America to look at these ruins. And it really took modern... Uh, like I myself have a background in restoration, remodeling, building, structural engineering, uh, doing additions and complex remodeling onto historically dated homes. And also from a design build standpoint, you have people like Christopher Dunn, who wrote the Giza power plant and, you know, ancient lost high technologies of Egypt. And what you have are when you put when you put engineers, architects, uh, geologists, forensic geologists like Scott Walter of America on Earth, when you put people who are experts in these fields in front of these buildings and in front of these objects, and when you just take anyone with some common sense without being told by six or eight or ten years of training in this traditional, dusty, I mean, really, really backward educational system that says, well, here's the dogma. If you can't start with the dogma, well, you have an F. You have to start with the dogma, and you can't just recite it. You have to believe it. Not not what we're finding, because what what we have in this statement here, just about the Baghdad battery, is that, okay, but you didn't just find one. It's not a one-off. You found five. And it wasn't just that there were five. All of them were in a museum that during the Iraq War – was one of the first stops of the United States military. This isn't even a hidden secret Illuminati conspiracy. The the Baghdad battery has not the one that was surviving, that one hasn't been seen since the Iraq war. And so there therein lies one mystery. And the the issue with this paradigm is that instead of treating the Baghdad battery and like the Antikythera device, uh, like you mentioned at the beginning, it's Greek it was found off it was found in a greek vessel that was on its way back to rome the idea was that well again before it was found there was no concept that the greeks could ever have even possessed the concept the, the just conceptual knowledge to create a device like this which could track from what we've been able to rebuild through 3d modeling through x-rays because it sat as a rusty chunk for a long time before anyone actually x-rayed and started understanding that this was a very complex geared computer system that was actually able to take programming and predict and look at models of, ellipt- of elliptical orbits of the processions of the moon of uh, our solar system. And we're not even entirely sure because there's been multiple, we don't have all the pieces. It wasn't fully put back together in the sense that, yes, you can find models that have been done, but nobody knows what it really, really looked like or how it was in its in its entirety. But everyone agreed that when it was found, that it wasn't even dreamed that it was beyond the, it would be be in the Greek's mind. And this is where one of our first criminal negligible archaeological statements is about to be made. They then labeled it, it's the first. It's the first. It's... Just it's like the first, like junk, junk DNA, or it's like the equivalent of, yeah, when I was in high school, I was, I was not very good in any subject, Jared, but I, I was very good in history, but there were a couple of 
different kinds of math classes that I had to take. And I was really good in like the advanced math, but the simple math like algebra, I did not understand. But some of the more advanced stuff or things that got into physics, it was one of those things where if I knew how to do it, I could get the answer. But since the teacher didn't understand how to do it in her head and it wasn't written down, I must have cheated. So I got an F regardless. And that's kind of the mindset of historians and archaeologists. We don't really understand it, where it comes from. It doesn't matter if you have proof. Uh, that's an F. Right. And and therein lies, I mean, this is a fundamental flaw. If we were to just discuss out-of-place, out-of-time artifacts and put them all on the table, whether it's genetic whether it's these physical objects, the math, like the Babylonian Plimpton tablet, the Antikythera device. And it's not just designing the device, the gears, or the battery. The assumption is that to become uh, the practical application of these technologies and to become a daily use item would mean that when they weren't of daily use, the assumption is that they either broke, had to be replaced, and probably you know, again, recycled, but if the use was forgotten or if there was a war in this period of decline, which there was many between the Greeks and the Romans and, oh, wait, there was that whole Dark Ages thing. So we – and then a lot of our history, a lot of people don't realize this, that in part of what we're talking about, this is very, I think, invaluable, is that the snapshot of our history when we start talking Plato or Herodotus or when we start talking – back to uh, uh, Solon, when we start talking back to what are the origins of the stories of Atlantis and what are the origins of these uh, trips to Egypt where uh, Solon talks about the Egyptians discussing their kings list and having it uh, actually be 36,000 years of kings, not 12,000. And even then at 12,000, people like, well, the Egyptians were not. They were, they were pre-dynastic. There was no 12,000-year-old Egyptian society yet. We have all these records, but what's interesting is the majority of the records that we are reciting and discussing are not from our original documentation. They're actually from documentation, and this is where it gets terrifying, are on file and were collected and stored by Gregorian and assorted other monastery systems. So you have the Holy Roman Catholic Church uh, writing our histories down, Mm -hmm. And then, historically, always somehow conveniently having a fire with the older documents, and everything that was written down constantly gets to be the new. But it's the it's it's you know of course historical record. But we have many instances of the Bible itself where there's handwritten notes by monks that, depending on the period of time of what was in vogue on the interpretation, they literally say, "I, you know, brother, blah blah blah." change this noting that uh of course this isn't how it was supposed to read this is what we know how it's supposed to read jared, jared, well hold, that's how hold that thought we got to take a break okay hold that thought jared, jared murphy is our guest this evening it's not aliens worse it's us that's the book i'm ryan gable this is the secret teachings we'll pick up with that thought when we come back and get into some of these other anomalous artifacts right here on the secret teachings on the fringe fm <laughs> www.thesecretteachings.info and rdgable at yahoo.com. Stay with us. There's more after this.
is Scott Walter, host of America on Earth, author of The Hooked X and Akhenaten to the Founding Fathers, and you are listening to The Secret Teachings. This is Robert W. Sullivan IV, author of The Royal Arch of Enoch and Cinema Symbolism, and you're listening to The Secret Teachings. Want more of The Fringe? Check out thefringe.fm for more information on your favorite shows. Also, don't forget to check out the Fringe mobile app or the other ways you can tune in through the Paranormal Radio app and talk stream live. Where the normal and paranormal collide, it's the Fringe FM. If you'd like to hear more of the secret teachings, if you missed a show or part of a show, sign up to the ever-expanding archive at thesecretteachings.info. When you subscribe for a month or year, you get access to the full show archive to every show after it airs. You can download and stream unlimited episodes and share your login with friends or family. With your subscription, you can also get access on the website to all of Ryan's digital books and the ever-growing montage archive. Just visit thesecretteachings.info and click on the Donate Subscribe tab at the top of the page. Use the secure PayPal link and start your membership today. By subscribing, you support The Secret Teachings, The Fringe FM, Ryan, and yourself. Alex Exum. My name is Alex Exum, and you're listening to The Fringe FM. So, you love talk radio, then you'll love TalkStreamLive.com. TalkStream Live is always on, 24-7, with the best streaming talk shows. Find your favorite talkers and discover some new ones. It's free, readily available online, or on mobile with any smartphone or tablet. Finding your favorite talk shows all in one place has gotten a whole lot easier. Just go to TalkStreamLive.com. Be sure to download the free apps from Google Play or the iTunes App Store. Why listen to The Fringe FM? We are your number one source for talk radio the mainstream media won't touch. Joe Root brings you everything occult with lighting the void. Ryan Gables shatters paradigms with esoteric knowledge on the secret teachings. Gigi and Cortana explore the inner workings of our reality with Shift Happens. Jess of the Rogue Report brings you years of research to explore the hidden facts behind alternative topics. And myself, Alex Exum of Live Talk, the so-called Joker in the deck. We are the Fringe FM. This is The Secret Teachings. To contact the show, to share information and your opinion, or give recommendations, email rdgable at yahoo.com. Visit the Facebook page at facebook.com slash thesecretteachings or our website, thesecretteachings.info. This is KTLK Digital Broadcasting, somewhere between the normal and paranormal. A collection of question marks. No reason, no explanation. Just a prolonged nightmare. Right here on the Fringe FM. This is Kev Baker of the Kev Baker Show. You can find me at Truth Frequency Radio or on my home website, www.kevbakershow.com. And you're listening to The Secret Teachings with Ryan Gable. out there and so are we ktlk digital broadcasting the fringe fm
I'm Ryan Gable, and you are listening to The Secret Teachings on The Fringe FM. If you'd like to contact us, rdgable at yahoo.com. You can check out our archive with all of our past shows, including the last episode we did with our guest this evening, Jared Murphy, a couple of weeks ago. And the name of that show was the name of his book. It's not Aliens Worse, It's Us, Discovering Our Lost History. You can find that pretty much anywhere books are sold. Amazon sold on Barnes & Noble, some other places. And Jared, I was thinking, before you get back to your thought from the last segment, what you could do is, since you kind of wanted to write a little bit about cultural uh, artifacts and you mentioned the sexual uh, customs and things like circumcision and whatnot and basically how archaeologists have done the same thing to our history and to these artifacts, you could write another book called It's Not Aliens, It's Insane. It's not aliens, it's barbaric. It could be like a companion piece. I, I, you're, you're right. And I uh, again, I had a hard time because the things that are acceptable that we turn a blind eye to that are all around us and it, and it gets chalked up to money. It gets get chalked. Again, it's a cultural uh, difference and we have to respect people's cultures. And I think, well, I think you could stop respecting anyone's culture that involves stoning people to death, accusing them of witchcraft, living in the stone age and in practice, uh, executing people for being in love with the wrong member of the wrong tribe. That's just, uh, yeah, someone just barbaric. Someone told me that they, they said we have, this was at, at a, at a, a location somewhere I had went and they said, we have like a very inclusive environment here. And I told them about like eugenics. We were talking about eugenics and they said, well, you know, eugenicists are people too. We, we have to welcome them. I was like, dude, they want to kill you because you don't have the right genetics. <laughs> You know, it's it's so interesting because I did look into that early on. Uh, one of the things I looked into was the the origins. Not that this is a conversation uh, giant rabbit hole for this, but I do uh, recall spending quite a bit of time looking at the origins of Planned Parenthood mm. and eugenics in itself. The original concept of it is fascinating of what they were attempting. Very romantically, it sounded to them like a very good idea. And then it was very quickly adapted by, Oh, very insane people. And it very quickly is a concept that goes overboard uh, in its entirety. And no matter what, it always brings me, I was a fan. Uh, I love the original star Trek. I was one of those people who refused to watch new star Trek and didn't do it for a number of years. And then I remember uh, deciding that I did like it. And one of the episodes that will to my dying day stand out was when Jordy LaForge, the blind, uh, one of the main characters, you know, for those that haven't watched it, but he had a vision visor. I don't know if you recall this episode, but they end up on a planet that only practiced eugenics where they bred everybody to be, you know, of course they go stereotypical Aryan, blonde haired, blue eyed, whatever it was, you know, they're going to create the perfect world. So they had gone off and colonized a planet. The planet was going to be destroyed by some disaster. And the technology that saved the planet was the technology in Jordy's visor developed for him because he was blind. And that is something that would have never been developed on an entire world of people who were all so worried about perfection. Mm-hmm. 
right, that right. they were killing people that weren't perfect. And yet I think that it seems like a very obvious point, but when you don't encourage diversity, genetically diversity in abilities, you don't develop fully as a culture. You know, unfortunately, necessity is the mother of invention, but I hope that's not always the case. I hope that invention can be something that is out of that, the equity of uh, experiment, the equity of having the time and the safety and the energy to put into a creative endeavor, like an artist, you know, not because, man, if we don't figure this out, we're not going to have an atmosphere. We're not going to be able to feed everybody. (laughs) It would be nice if we could go down that road. But the eugenics thing, again, is another perfect example of, well, we took this in a wrong direction, didn't we? Well, you know what? Well, we could also relate that back to archaeology, too, because archaeologists are kind of like eugenicists. They just kind of eliminate what they don't like, <laughs> right? <laughs> uh, I think that there's... So this is the big problem. Okay, I will say this hey, hey, now Jer- because Jer- I think it's really important hold, for archaeologists. Hold, hold, on, hold on one second. Let's, there's like a little feedback coming from your line, so let's, let me disconnect, and then can you call me like right back? See if we can get a better connection. Yeah. Let's try that, and then we can... Yeah, if you- Okay, I'm going to disconnect you. Hold right. on one second. It looks like we had like a little, not just a technical glitch. It might have been a delay there in the line. We'll get Jared back on. But you know what? Archaeology, it is like eugenics. It's like genital mutilation <laughs> for history. All right, can you hear me, Jared? Yeah, how about now? Is it all? It took a second there. Uh, sounds a little bit better now, I think. There we go. Okay, that's, is it? Yeah, it's better now. So archaeologists, they're kind of like, they, they mutilate genitals, they mutilate history, they're kind of like eugenicists. They- <laughs> you, you may have made a couple jumps there, but I think that archaeologists in general in the system that they're in are stuck. You know, you have a quarter million dollars or more of debt, and you're into a system where you don't get funded if you don't have something that supports these indoctrined theories through these institutions, these multi, at this point, institutions that almost don't even need tuitions at this point. They have so much money that they could be educating people for free and they're not, but they have a system of there's a, there's a system, there's a grace being given between science and church. And it doesn't matter what the faith is. It's, it's this simple is that, well, Everybody 50,000 years ago or less was in a loincloth. And then one day, you know, we all started in Africa. We left Africa. And that's the story. Well, then you have Christianity saying, okay, well, well, you know, you started in the Fertile Crescent because there was the Garden of Eden and Adam and Eve and everything started in North Africa. And that's, and that marries well with science. So now you have two completely conflicting theories. So whether you're an atheist or whether you're a Christian, and then if you're not, then there's some offshoots of Christianity that no reasons to discuss. But then there's the, then there's this bizarre mute on, well, what about India and what about China and what about Japan and what about uh, South Asia? What about all of Indonesia and Jakarta, the Jakarta Pyramid? And what about, oh, no, 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 that's all like, you know, they were all in loincloths and then Jesus came in short. So you have these academic systems that support whatever they want you to find in reference to these theories of evolution and and theories of the first, of course, the first writings were Sumerian. Of course, the very first society that we know of is in Sumer. Yet 
That's not what we're finding in Latin America. That's not what we're finding by these LIDAR scans. We're showing tens of millions of people living. That's what they're finding just in Guatemala is that literally we have grossly underestimated this human population. So these poor archaeologists are stuck with, well, I would like to make money as an archaeologist, which was probably like deciding to get an art degree. And then now to be funded, they have to go dig up and find things that are authorized by, I like what Carl Larberger says, he calls them uh, archaeopriests or the religion, I just call it the religion of archaeology. And so, you know, if you don't become an archaeopriest and appease your bishop or your sending institution, which is stuff that, remember, this is a business at at the end of the day, they need to find something that's going to be authorized to be put in the Natural History Museum, whether at their college campus the British Museum, the Smithsonian uh, State Museum, in order to be shown even at like a Minneapolis Institute of Art. Me, a very famous, beautiful, gorgeous. Uh, it, it's amazing. I mean, it's why, why call it an Institute of Art? It has art in it, but it also has a sarcophagi. It has a, a mummy, basically. It has Spartan battle helmets. It has incredible swords. It has just this, uh, an array of, all sorts of historical chain mail. Uh, there's not just art. There is this array of history. But to get in there, you have to be within the narrative. You can't be the out-of-place, out-of-time Baghdad battery. The Antikythera device, and this is the way all these things get muted. One, archaeologists get these jobs. They need to be funded. They have to keep finding things that fit these narratives because it keeps getting them more jobs, but it they're not rocking any boats, but it's, I guess as a side note, and this is what is not dialogued often is what the hell do people think right now? Look at the success on channels like discovery, the history channel, the biography stuff, anywhere that they're showing any ancient alien slash history slash Egyptian, Mayan, whatever it is, pick one of those channels on cable networks or all the alternative information, whether it's on pick the network on from YouTube to any of these other different uh, platforms, uh, entertainment platforms where you have historical shows that are showing you histories. They they act as if and this is what I don't think it's dialogued is they they're acting as if, well, this out of place, out of time artifact, all these artifacts. If we table them all, well, if people, if we told them that our history isn't what we said it was, well, they just might stop coming to the institutes. They might just stop coming to the museums. I mean, do you see that happening? I, what do they think is going to happen? People won't want to go get a degree? Well, no, it's like, it, it's almost the opposite. And I think that's why Discovery Channel and the History Channel have been so successful with those types of television shows and even sometimes little documentaries because they present these types of things like the Baghdad battery and the, the Plimpton 322 tablet and other things. And they show people, look, this is what is in the archaeological record. And these things are incredible. And they show us that our history is not what we thought it was. But then they follow it up with ancient alien theorists believe that aliens made all this yeah. stuff. So it, 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 it does as much of a disservice as archaeology, not as a field, but as archaeologists do when they simply ignore it and the opposite of that is to address it but then without addressing it with any kind of reason or logic just putting some other theory or some other belief on it 
And so that's why I titled the show tonight Out of Place or Out of Belief, because a lot of these items are just out of belief for some people. They can't imagine it. And that also, I think, Jared, drives people that would otherwise look at these artifacts and say, well, wow, that's incredible. They have this device that can measure the stars and they have complex mathematics and batteries. But these people are saying aliens did it. That's nonsense. I'm going to go back to the regular museum. Yeah, and I don't, I don't think it's the case of if you just table the things that you're finding, it only makes it more titillating in the nutshell. People would come, people would visit, people would... I, I'm equating it lately to the stories about 18 years ago of Las Vegas who didn't want to teach people how to gamble because they were afraid people would cheat. The freak economics was people weren't gambling as much because they were afraid to walk up to a roulette table. They didn't know how to play. They didn't understand and they felt stupid and they didn't want to learn. So when Vegas started teaching classes, the freak economics was suddenly they had a boom in people gambling because they didn't feel stupid and they weren't afraid to play the games. And I think that this is the same thing with what I think this stranglehold on our history has done with these institutions where they're like, well, we feel really bad. Uh, the truth is, hey, we're sorry, but we forced you to do dissertations and learn theories and deal with this nutso professor who believes that, you know, hand over fist that this is the way it's happened. But, well, we've been holding on to literally one million artifacts that prove otherwise. And here's all the bodies of evidence that show anatomically correct humans in prehistory that doesn't line up with the Darwin thing. Hey, well, we're sorry your degree was 250,000, but, you know, we've revamped everything. And I guess we had it wrong. You know, they, they, they make it seem as if people would not be just thrilled and excited at the idea of it being completely something that was unknown and that there would be this absolute wild, wild west to be the university, to have the students that table the most interesting, coherent spider webs to pull all these out of place, out of time artifacts together. And again, it's, it's going back to the, the Plimpton three two two. It you know it's, yeah, what, it's what exactly talking. what exactly is that, Jared? Because I didn't know about that till I read it in your book. Yeah, so the uh, Greek astronomer uh, Hippocrates, he lived about one hundred twenty years BC. You know, he was considered the father of trigonometry, uh, and it was supposed to be the oldest trigonomic tables. Well, the Plimpton three two two is a tablet. It's from Sumer, or everyone likes to call them the Sumerians, but the country of Sumer. And it's a clay tablet that describes right angles, triangles, used in a novel form of trigonometry based on ratios. Okay, so it's not based on angles and circles. It's really neat. But what's interesting about the tablet, the way that they looked at it, yet again, it gets labeled as the world's oldest trigonomic table. It predates the Greeks by a thousand years, which is okay. Well, that's not good because you just credited it to the Greeks and a thousand years earlier, we have the same tablet that is showing the same kind of math that is shown a thousand years later, but it's being done in a tablet that looks like a teacher's aid. It's well laid out. It looks like it's not something you would use on a day-to-day -day basis, but more as something as a teacher's assistant. Maybe you'd have a chalkboard of some kind, and you would be showing the formats of, you know, just the different 
formulas and methodologies to write out math, and this would be something that a teacher would use. And this is something that is really, really, really complicated because it it's kind of like crediting Columbus with discovering America. That one people now get better than ever. I didn't get it when I was a kid. I I had learned enough already where I'm like, this guy didn't discover one, a place that, you know, wait, all the Native Americans were already here. How did he discover it? There's already people here. Like that, that's like your starter, right? But then it's, well, wait a minute. It looks like the, it looks like, well, I grew up in Minnesota, so I'm very familiar with the finds in Alexandria, Minnesota, that the Vikings were here, right? So oh, there's yeah, a, yeah. Yeah, the, the ruin stone, that the Kensington ruin stone, uh, has been looked at for since it's been found in the 1800s quite a bit. And then I know Scott Walter came up, but he literally wrote the definitive book on this and over 500 pages of deep scientific research as a forensic geologist. The reality is the, the, the Kensington ruin stone is real, but that doesn't help with a narrative all the way back to Sweden. And again, so imagine you're in Sweden and Norway and Netherlands and all that area, and you're all talking about Vikings, and there's lots of shows on Vikings, and you're the experts. And then it turns out that you didn't know that Vineland, i.e. the United States and Greenland and Canada, that the Vikings had made it here quite frequently. And one of the oldest accepted Viking sites that we know, at least on this continent, is in Greenland. That's an active tourist spot. I'm blanking on the name of it right now, but you can go. It's set up for tourism. So what happens now when you have these narratives like the Plimpton tablet, which is, you know, predating the Greeks and it's uh, basically a teacher's aid. And so you're talking about uh, basically a 37 here is 3,700 year old tablet. And it's not the only one. One of the ones that I like to bring up was the YBC 7289. And this is another another tablet from the same era. And just to back up further, I guess. So the Plimpton tablet, you're thinking it, it's like a teacher's aid. It's helping them teach this uh, trigonometry. And it's, again, 3,700 years old. It it's easily capable of being applied to surveying and, you know, basically ziggurats, which were early. We, we call them early pyramids, but there are ziggurats, which are multi-story bricked temples or pyramids that were built in Sumer. Those are built off of pi. The, their dimensions and their sizes were built. And this is where between if you're doing trigonometry and if you're looking at the YBC 7289, is another cuneiform tablet because it's, again, it's a base 60 uh, mathematical system that's using uh, spherical-based math. And so what, what we're talking about here is between the Plimpton tablet and this base 60 math cuneiform tablet, it's showing that for whatever reason, these early people – we're building things computationally. That means on paper in two dimension. And we're thinking, oh, well, they didn't have paper. Well, not a lot of paper survives from 4,000 years ago. But these are people who are building mathematical systems in three dimensional space and not big squares, 
they were doing it in a spherical format. Now, this echoes of a time period of waves and frequencies, which is why you have Egan values, which is what pi is, mostly pi, for all the things that we do with that formula, has to do with Egan values, frequencies and waves and and measuring that. And so I think the echoing remnants of the Plimpton tablet, the 322, and the YBC 7289, these tablets are just a couple that are found in the Sumerian uh, wreckage of their society that show a very complex math that is beyond the necessity if you're just building a square building. But it is math that's relevant if it's also a society that had something like a Baghdad battery, which also has to do, yes, with metal plating. But is it that it was an advancement or is it part of a de- – this is why we need to table out of place, out of time artifacts because if you table independently the, ba- the Babylonian Plimpton 322 tablet, the YBC and the Baghdad battery, just and, and then we'll get to the Antikythera device. If you put them all up independently, you have, oh, one of a kind, only one of a kind, an anomaly, an enigma, and you have, oh, isn't that interesting? They had this these clay tablets. Well, isn't again, it's it's all a mystery, an enigma, and a one-off when you don't table all the facts that are found in the field yeah I now, rem- you just put right yeah and i, I was going to say we, we got to take a break but i remember talking to scott walter i've interviewed him like five or six times the last time i talked to him i asked him or maybe the time before last i asked him like how did the community that he was involved in how did his how did his uh his world respond to him analyzing <laughs> the kensington ruinstone and i remember he, he he explained it real simple but to simplify it even more he was like, they asked me to look at it, all right, because I'm a professional. I looked at it. I dated it. You know, it's forensic geology, so I didn't take a guess. Like, I'm getting pretty accurate with the dating. Uh, and I showed it to him, and they were like, hmm, no. And he's like, what do you mean, no? Like, no, that, that that's, that's not true. He's like, yeah, but this is what the science says. Hmm, still no. That's basically <laughs> what he explained. That's how they responded. And that's, I mean, that is, it's just, it's, I don't know, it's a lot of things. It's dismissive at the very least, but it's negligent to say, uh, yeah, it's criminal to say something more. It's criminal. Yes, absolutely. It, to, to lie about facts that is criminal. And to, to know, like you go to a professional to ask them for help and then you're like, nah, that, that you're still wrong because you just want a particular answer. And also I think Scott Walter and others have, I think we've interviewed some people over the years about this too. Um, there were, marriages that were documented between natives on what is now mainland United States of America and uh, people with blonde hair and blue eyes. So like there were marriages yeah, there were and whole tribes, whole tribes. Yeah, exactly. I'm, pr- I'm pretty sure blue eyed. I'm pretty sure that a lot of these uh, there's people like this still alive today that can trace their genetics back. So uh, Eastern. Yep. Hopalai a group in Eastern America is traced to Phoenician Canaanite uh, absolutely Jewish origins. That's a fact. That, they, they were here. And that is, here. that is just beyond, beyond incredible when you look at the history that otherwise we're taught. Like, well, Columbus came here and he met some people and traded some beads 
Um, and he founded this place, and it's just it's ridiculous. I'm Ryan Gable. This is The Secret Teachings. Jared Murphy, our guest. More with Jared after this. Go to the website, www.thesecretteachings.info. You can subscribe to the archive. With that subscription, you get access to the montages and my books in digital form. Or you could grab the book separately on the website at thesecretteachings.info. You can also grab Jared's book, It's Not Aliens, Worse, It's Us, Discovering Our Lost History. You can find it on Amazon other places. Books are sold again. It's Not Aliens, Worse, It's Us. Jared Murphy, our guest. This is The Secret Teachings. And again, I'm Ryan Gable. There's more after this. Don't go anywhere. Right here on The Fringe FM. No, I really appreciate being on your show, and you ask great questions and have a dialogue, and not every show does that. This is Linda Godfrey, author of Monsters Among Us. My website is lindagodfrey.com, and you are listening to The Secret Teachings with Ryan Gable. You are listening to The Secret Teachings. To contact the show, to share information and your opinion, or give recommendations, email rdgable at yahoo.com. Visit the Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash The Secret Teachings, or visit the website at www.thesecretteachings.info. You could listen to this. And that show is now running all day Friday and all day Saturday on History Channel, which is really amazing. I don't know if there's any other show on TV that's doing that right now, so... I hate this channel. Or you could listen to The Secret Teachings with myself, Ryan Gable, five nights a week and join us to explore the outer limits and quarantine zones of history, symbolism, parapolitics, myth, and more. We don't have insiders or some galactic confederation ambassador, but we do have books, memories, critical thinking skills, and an ability to recognize patterns. And we also know a little bit about a lot. But don't take my word for it. I'm kind of like you. I'm a last of a dying breed, a generalist. Find the Fringe.fm Monday through Friday for new episodes of The Secret Teachings or check out TalkStream Live in the Paranormal Radio app. Visit www.thesecretteachings.info to subscribe to the entire show archive so that you can listen, stream, and download every episode after it airs. Subscribers also get access to our montages and digital books www.thesecretteachings.info and The Secret Teachings Monday through Friday on The Fringe FM. Don't settle for less. And again, you know, people say David has no evidence. David has no evidence, but... I hate this channel. Do you like The Secret Teachings and Ryan's passionately balanced approach to subjects from food and health to the entertainment industry and the occult? Then check out Ryan's books, available in PDF and softcover with free shipping in the United States. For a practical, balanced, and unique look at the food industry, vaccinations, the theories of disease, and geoengineering, grab a copy of Food Philosophy. For a deeper look into artificial intelligence, UFO cults, black goo, and packs made with the devil in the music and entertainment industry, have a look at the technological elixir. Or look for Ryan's masterpiece, Occult Arcana, an encyclopedia of occult knowledge spanning from mythology and science to symbols and sigils, from ritual magic to voodoo, and from comparative religion and psychic abilities to paranormal activity. 
All three books can be purchased on the website at thesecretteachings.info, where you can read reviews from other authors and radio hosts around the world. Just visit thesecretteachings.info. Why listen to The Fringe FM? We are your number one source for talk radio the mainstream media won't touch. Joe Root brings you everything occult with Lighting the Void. Ryan Gables shatters paradigms with esoteric knowledge on the secret teachings. Gigi and Cortana explore the inner workings of our reality with Shift Happens. Jess of the Rogue Report brings you years of research to explore the hidden facts behind alternative topics. And myself, Alex Exum of Live Talk, the so-called Joker in the deck. We are The Fringe FM. This is Jess Rogie from the Rogie Report News, and I literally sift through hundreds of articles a week to bring you the best in Fringe news. Check out the Rogie Report News here on The Fringe FM. You can't handle the truth! Join me on a journey where getting lost is the only true destination. Where happiness is an illusion. Here, where the past, present, and future all coexist on the same timeline. Welcome to a future where our true reflection is only revealed once the screen goes dark. Welcome to the darkness. I hope you find it enlightening. This is KTLK Digital Broadcasting, where the normal and paranormal collide. It's the Fringe FM. Freedom is the privilege to be right. On The Secret Teachings, we use history and anthropology, magic and esotericism, and even a little bit of nutrition and comedy mixed with some great guests to examine our world and beyond. For 10 years, we've used occultism and symbols to bring you a unique and objective look at the past, present, and future. Join us by tuning in Monday through Friday to The Secret Teachings with myself, Ryan Gable, exclusively new right here on The Fringe FM, www.thesecretteachings.info. Yeah, you're a proper pro. And I just want to thank you, Ryan, for having me on. I've heard a few of your shows and you go deep, brother. You go deeper than a deep sea diver in a shipwreck. So uh, been great to be a part of your show. You've got a tremendous amount of knowledge yourself. You've clearly put in the hours of research and I commend you for that. So I'm very happy to have been a part of your show today. Thanks again for the invitation. This is Mark Devlin, author of Musical Truth, Volumes 1 and 2 musicaltruthbook.com online and you're listening to The Secret Teachings with Ryan Gable The truth is out there and so are we KTLK Digital Broadcasting The Fringe FM I'm Clyde Lewis from Ground Zero Radio and you're listening to The Secret Teachings with Ryan Gable listening to the secret teachings on the fringe fm i'm your host ryan gable jared murphy our guest this evening author of it's not aliens worse it's us 
If you'd like to contact the show, you can email us at rdgable at yahoo.com. Find us on social media at facebook.com forward slash the secret teachings. And visit our website, thesecretteachings.info. You can also visit thefringe.fm, the network website. And we should actually have, starting next week, maybe the week after, but hopefully next week, if all goes as planned, Jared Murphy will be hosting a show on the Fringe FM. So we'll be able to hear more of Jared right here on the network. We'll keep you up to date on that on Facebook. And I think we're going to have that Wednesday slot available. Uh, J.D. Lewis is moving to Mondays for the time being. Jared's going to take that slot right here on the Fringe. So that is exciting to me because I'm working with the network now with Joe and trying to organize and set things up to increase the uh, listenership, but also just to grow the network in general. And I think Jared would be a really great addition to the network. And every time we uh, have had a conversation, a handful of conversations, uh, it's always very invigorating. I always learn something from Jared. And tonight, um, I, I did learn something. I didn't know about this this uh, Sumerian tablet, something that's overlooked by a lot of people in, I guess, multiple different camps, not just archaeologists. But these are things that um, I don't even see this kind of stuff, Jared, in like ancient aliens. Like I, I, maybe they did do an episode on it, but I don't see some of these artifacts. They don't talk about them on there either. Do you think that's just a coincidence or is it just too much? Aliens couldn't have built that either. Well, I think that's a good point. I think that first it could be what you're saying, which is that it's, well, that's a very practical pointer to humans doing it. And it's also, I think, a little more of just why this is a good point about this show, me doing a show, but us talking about this now exactly in this format People who are listening for a deeper understanding, you need time to go over the complexities of these things. And although it seems kind of obvious, oh, yeah, it's a really smart form of math. Well, yeah, but math isn't as sexy as looking at a pyramid or a mummy. And it's just like engineered soil. But in this particular case, we're talking about a math that I guess maybe doesn't visually call to display itself very well, but I think you could explain it to people in a way that would be more exciting. But I think shows like this do that better. I mean, this is a like the Babylonian Plumpton tablet, and the YBC. I mean, to give her uh, another, I mean, one of the statements that they make about this that I quote in my book about this tablet is that in their in scientists opinion, based on the more they study the math off of these two tablets, just these two, they're saying that for these are 3,700 total year old tablets, right? That it surpasses modern knowledge of how we that that the that the knowledge within these tablets are, are have practical applications in surveying computer graphics and education today. These are 3,700 year old clay tablets that, mind you, there are millions of cuneiform tablets that have not been translated yet. We seem to think, oh, yeah, we found this society. There's a little more to find, but, well, clearly we've found and figured out all these cuneiform tablets. You can actually get in clubs uh, that you can get access to, and if you want to start learning ancient Sumerian, yes, a lot of the tablets are invoices and receipts and accounts or very, very, very short edicts from 
governors to mayors or mayors to governors or just quick notes back and forth. A lot of them are not significant from what you can read. You can find databases where you can see digital translations of tablets. But one, you have to trust the translation, and two, they have to be available. But three, it's just very important to know Right here at the University of Minnesota, we have a very large, one of the largest cuneiform tablet collections. You can go handle them. You can go get checked in at the library and uh, on the West Bank. There are, and there are rare and antiquities areas. We have cuneiform tablets here. And at the same time, there are other museums and places that have them, but there's this assumption that they've been translated. They haven't. And then not only have we not found them all, but back to like these shows and everything else, uh, right now, there's a narrative, and I don't want to say that it's just to get views or sales. I The dialogue started really with – it's not that it hasn't been on people's mind in the past, but I think a lot of credit has to be given to Eric Von Danigan and Chariots of the Gods. And I think it's on its 43rd year or 42nd year of publication. And look what we've just decided to think about just in these last years with it. And part of it is also in mass, the development of just you and I going out with our video cameras, just on our phones and going to these places and looking at it or being able to see it with a discerning eye, even on one of these shows that we watch where you can see this stuff in person. But then there's these out of place, out of time artifacts. And like you mentioned before the break, Scott Walter, uh, Scott and I are friends. I've, gotten to go to the lab where he did the research work for that for the Kensington Ruinstone. I've seen his personal cast of it, uh, the of the actual stone itself. The the reality is I got to hear firsthand from him the reaction that he got when they said, Yeah, no. <laughs> I love Scott Scott's I don't think Scott's uh, actual reaction to that is arable <laughs> based on what he said to me. It, it's just a matter of you can't stop, you can't poo-poo on people's uh, parade about this slow, the, the joke in archaeology, I have a really good friend that's an archaeologist, and the general joke in archaeology is that the paradigm shifts with the death of, at, at the rate of one archaeologist at a time. <laughs> I've, I've heard, that's a set. I've heard something like that before, yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, it's sad. And, and, the, and the Kensington Ruinstone, now we have three, just for everybody again, 3,700-year-old math tablets that describe spherical-based math, not on a base 10, but for those who, I think it's also getting up a chalkboard and explain the difference between, you know, the different, uh, um, uh, like showing people two-dimensional math and three-dimensional math and the geometry of the Plimpton tablet. I don't know if people would be, uh, I think the assumption right away may have you may have just nailed it from the start that I don't think they saw how the production of that would have been would have been interesting. But I'm looking at Gold Rush that show. I don't know if you ever watched it. You ever watch Gold Rush? No, I've never. I've never seen Gold Rush. I don't even have cable anymore. Uh, yeah, I don't. I don't either. And I, I I'm so sorry for everyone because I can't remember what channel it's on. But there's like 10 seasons of it now. And one of the things about this show that I think is interesting from a geological standpoint is that, well, how much fun can it be to watch people in excavators? Well, I will say as a guy, it's just fun to watch people in excavators, period, <laughs> dig stuff up. But 
I do love these animation graphics. And the reason I'm bringing it up, because after a decade on the air, one of the things that they do is when there's a problem with the way they sift gold or when they're digging, they have this incredible animation graphics. They're very uh, just, they're drawings. They're not painted in. They're not like cartoons, but they're very well done animations that allow you to see the gold particles getting sifted on one of the machines. And it explains how one part's broke and they, and the animation will show that broken part being taken out and being put in and they make it so clear what the problem is. And it's so ironically very engaging to watch this animation. Then they go back to the job site where whether it's the machine that's broke or the excavator that's broke or whether it's the whatever they're stuck doing, these animations I think would be ideal for explaining what the math looks like, what the what, how this would apply to building a construction in ancient time. And then again, we have this assumption that we know everything that they built. So I said ziggurat. Those are famous and those stand out. And they're very large. And we think, oh, yeah, they're just kind of a giant fancy step pyramid. And they weren't very complicated. Well, based on these maths, that's the other uncomfortable thing. We think we have it all worked out, what their buildings look like, what their clothing look like, what they talked about. I would say very clearly that if in the areas that we are understanding their technology, like these tablets and the Baghdad battery and the Antikythera device, which I know is Greek, but the math that's involved here and the construction that they're applying it to, I think indicates that we actually have a fractional view of what those societies actually looked like and other technologies or mythologies. I think the only echoing indicators of how we can interpret them actually come full circle. Part of it is why do we have some of these cultural traditions that include uh, these mutilations? Do they actually originate from what was once a critical surgery or an enhancement? And then it got, you know, dumbed down into the traditions it did. Are there other applications that again, got mystified over time and we can't, know for sure but when we look at these actual out of place out of time artifacts and really start thinking okay is it more of a stretch for us to say that they wouldn't have had other technologies equal to the again a math system that's almost 4,000 years old that we don't use today and scientists are now saying to be honest it surpasses modern knowledge well what because it's not just about achieving the, the equation. It's what you do with the equation. And what we think is, oh, well, they built really big ziggurats, but metal and wood technologies that may have incorporated these mathematical solutions, those things are rotted, dusted, and gone, or were readapted later. So fast forward, barely, and you have the Babel, you have the Baghdad battery, but and that's being used to plate metal objects. And the interesting thing about plating those metal objects is that they were doing it at a, the, the competence, the craftsmanship for this type of quality. They're better. We haven't reached the same qualities that they were applying even 2000 years ago. And we have examples. I bring up the Basilica of Santa of St. Ambrosio. Uh, there's basically a nano coating on the, on the altar. And 
we still and this is uh this this is dating back to 825 AD and it's a wood case it's coated in gold and silver plated panels and it appears that mercury uh, was liquefied metal made up the plating, acting like a glue. It was applied. Now they're reverse engineering this. You said it was like a. The reality a, is like a thousandth of a millimeter thick, or something like that, in your book. Yeah, more than yeah. So it's two thousand years ago. A thin film coating technology that even by t- even today for DVDs and solar cells, electronic devices, I put it in there. It's it was uh, Science Daily quoting from the ACS Journal accounts of chemical research. Uh, this would have been, you know, it could have been coated on coins. It could have been coated on everything, but, uh, they were producing layers of whatever they wanted. They were doing it in a way that we don't know how to do it. And they were doing it, uh, one thousandths of a millimeter thick on surfaces that we can't replicate yet. I mean, okay. For those of you into spintronics and quantum computing, and I'm a super big nerd fan about all this stuff, graphene conductors, nanotechnology, like nanobot factories that are just a few 30, 40, 80 uh, atoms in size that are producing smaller nanobots that can be produced out of nano factories. I mean, there's a lot of things we could do with nanotechnology now that's on, on the subatomic uh, level. But this coding and the way that these people were doing this is not something we don't we know how to do. So because it's metal – we have it surviving, and this is why I'm bringing it up now, is that so this is just over 2,000 years ago, and these are, these are by the way, these are layers. These are so thin. The, even our cell phones don't need technology this thin. Yes, we have hard drives. We have flash drives. We have drives that there's nothing moving, and we can get into the nanoness of all that. But still, when it comes to this layering, uh we're not doing it this way. And so now let's jump back 1,700 plus years prior to this 1,000th of a millimeter thick uh, copper plating and or, you know, what, what they were doing here with ceramics and gold and silver and you name it. Uh, if we jump back, how many metals, how many plates – how many plated metals, not solid gold objects, not solid silver, not solid copper, not an ingot. Like uh, Roman ingots are valuable. Do you know that they're found and they're still collected and used? Like people melt them down. I, I didn't like, know oh, that. This is old. It's cool. But they use them. I, I, did, I didn't know that. I was thinking that maybe they were use, that the Anunnaki were using the battery to uh, plate that gold that they dug out of the ground in Africa. <laughs> for my bling bling yes and when i was and also i was also thinking gold rush is probably the industry name for ancient aliens because that's a that is a gold mine <laughs> uh, that would be great oh my gosh that would be a great comedy actually what uh, an ancient that, aliens right. parody gold rush yeah like like if you okay so because there's all these different groups there's like uh there's a famous grandson that one of the show now you know there's a, a gold miner uh they call him the swede i think And so he's a guy that came uh, from Norway or Sweden and 
he became very successful and then there's a grandson that started his grandfather's gold mine and then there's another group and then there's another group and it'd be fun if you replaced every character with your own made up Anunnaki's that <laughs> were all fighting at each of their gold sites and their equipment was breaking down and it's like we need more monkeys well so and so Anil has uh, 20 evolved ones well go get that formula and just oh man you could actually template that very well I, I, I guess it's uh, I don't know if that's a sub funnel genre too far down for those who love gold rush and ancient like conspiracy stuff slash history. I think it would be fun. We'll, we'll merge them. Oh. We'll genetically engineer them just like the Anunnaki oh. did. Uh, we'll merge them yeah. together, create these hybrids. Yeah. It, it'd be great if we, if we did it in the gold rush TV show format, that could be one of the funniest things ever. Cause <laughs> When they get to uh, the part where they do the animation to explain how they're going to fix what's broken, it's like, well, what we found is in order to get these monkeys to work again, these genes have to be spliced. But to get them up and running, to make the gold season successful, Anil will have to do it in four (laughs) weeks. Yeah, I I remember reading this one thing. I didn't mean to get you off track, but I remember reading this one thing um, because I want to go back to the Basilica of St. Ambrosio um, in the the last segment. I read this one thing one time. It might have been... um, it might have been a Sitchin. This actually sounds like a Sitchin now that I'm talking about it. Not to dismiss all of his work, but it was something like Inlyle or Inky were really upset, and the reason they decided to engineer humans rather than naturally breed them was because they were they got tired of listening to to humans have sex, so they decided <sighs> to engineer. Did you ever hear that? I read that in one of the books. No. Yeah, they they no. they didn't like the sound of the female moaning or the guy moaning, so they decided to create this genetic engineering program. If anybody remembers the book, please message me that. I think it was like I think it was Inlyle or something that Inlyle book. I I don't remember exactly, but yeah, that's you know my that's one of the claims. My red flag always goes up the minute it has to do with what sounds like any kind of human shame around one of our greatest activities to connect each other you know there's some shenanigans. The minute it's about controlling and shaming uh, the way we connect and, you know, as a group and individually, it's there's always some suspect around that kind of a story. It always interests me because you know there's something going on. It's always about creating a disconnect between humans and getting yes. them to stay separate from each other. Yep, absolutely. I mean, that's part of the, the cultural artifacts we talked about earlier with the sexual practices that are uh, sexual mutilation practices that are still present today. Yeah. Jared Murphy. Control, control and, uh, you know, again, disunity. But, yeah, to your, to your point about the, the getting back on the technology, can, can I we, wanted to reel it back to can we, can we go where back? people could start. Let's, oh, go ahead. Can we go back into that? We have one last break. We'll go back into it after the break because I'd like to start exactly there in the final segment and let you lay it all out. How's that sound? Okay, cool. Sounds great. All right. Jared Murphy is our guest this evening. It's not aliens. Worse, it's us. And we need to, we need to like circulate a meme of you, Jared. You can sit there. We'll do your hair up. And it's just like, it's not aliens. And then underneath of it, it says, no, really, it's not aliens. Just... <laughs> I, th- Great. I think that would go viral. <laughs> All right. Jared Murphy, our guest. It's not aliens worse. It's us. I'm Ryan Gable. This is the secret teachings on the fringe FM. There's more after this. Don't go anywhere.
is Alan Butler, co-author of America, Nation of the Goddess. This is Janet Walter, co-author of America, Nation of the Goddess. And, and you're, you're listening, listening to The, the Secret, Secret Teachings. Teachings. If you're interested in all things that include the occult, from witchcraft to voodoo, and from mythology to alchemy, then why not check out the book Occult Arcana, complete with hundreds of beautiful images. Maybe you want to look at technology, black goo, UFOs, and demonic pacts made in the entertainment industry. Check out the technological elixir, black goo, transhumanism, and invoking AI. Or if that's not enough and you want a practical look at food, lifestyles and ingredients, even those in your pet food, with free solutions to better health, then check out Food Philosophy. All three of these books are available in softcover or PDF at www.thesecretteachings.info. That's where you can read reviews, see pictures, and even order yours today. It not only supports The Secret Teachings and Fringe FM, but most importantly, it supports you. You could listen to this. And that show is now running all day Friday and all day Saturday on History Channel, which is really amazing. I don't know if there's any other show on TV that's doing that right now, so... I hate this channel. Or you could listen to The Secret Teachings with myself, Ryan Gable, five nights a week and join us to explore the outer limits and quarantine zones of history, symbolism, parapolitics, myth, and more. We don't have insiders or some galactic confederation ambassador, but we do have books, memories, critical thinking skills, and an ability to recognize patterns. And we also know a little bit about a lot. But don't take my word for it. I'm kind of like you. I'm a last of a dying breed, a generalist. Find the Fringe.fm Monday through Friday for new episodes of The Secret Teachings or check out TalkStream Live in the Paranormal Radio app. Visit www.thesecretteachings.info to subscribe to the entire show archive so that you can listen, stream, and download every episode after it airs. Subscribers also get access to our montages and digital books. www.thesecretteachings.info and The Secret Teachings Monday through Friday on The Fringe FM. They all say the same thing. They're all like, you know, over the last four years, everything good that happened was because of us. And we would have done more good stuff if it wasn't for those guys. And then they, the Democrats go, oh, we did all the good stuff. <laughs> it's like you're all working for the same guy. My name is Alex Exum, and I host live talk here on The Fringe FM. If you're sick of hearing about COVID-19, I invite you to listen to my show, 7 p.m. Pacific, Tuesday nights, for a COVID-free zone. We will not be talking about the C word. We discuss news, society, and culture, but not COVID-19. Go listen to the other fear mongers if you want to hear that nonsense. Want more of The Fringe? Check out thefringe.fm for more information on your favorite shows. Also, don't forget to check out the Fringe mobile app or the other ways you can tune in through the Paranormal Radio app and TalkStream Live. Where the normal and paranormal collide, it's the Fringe FM. Do you have everything you need to explore the secret teachings? I've got my secret socks on and my secret TV. And my secret TV channel. Looks like SpongeBob's ready. Are you? 
The truth is out there, and so are we. KTLK Digital Broadcasting, The Fringe FM. This is Dave Cruz, host of Beyond the Strange, and you're listening to The Fringe FM. When a long train of abuses, usurpations, pursuing invariably the same object, evinces a design to reduce them under absolute despotism, it is their right, it is their duty to throw off such government and provide new guards for their future security. Listen to The Secret Teachings five nights a week, Monday through Friday, on The Fringe FM. This is KTLK Digital Broadcasting, The Fringe FM. Howdy, this is Joe Mars, the New York Times bestselling author of Crossfire, Rule by Secrecy, Rise of the Fourth Reich, and my latest one, Our Occulted History, and you're listening to The Secret Teachings. This is Nick Redfern, author of Men in Black and Close Encounters of the Fatal Kind, and you're listening to Secret Teachings with Ryan Gable. Hi, this is John Perkins. I'm the author of The New Confessions of an Economic Hitman, as well as a number of other books. My website is johnperkins.org, and you are listening to The Secret Teachings. Gable, your host, and you're listening to The Secret Teachings on The Fringe FM. If you'd like to contact us, rdgable at yahoo.com. If you'd like to subscribe to the archive to support the show to help keep us on air Monday through Friday right here on The Fringe exclusively, you can subscribe at www.thesecretteachings.info. That's www.thesecretteachings.info. Our guest this evening, Jared Murphy, he is the author of It's Not Aliens, Worse... It's us. And I want to leave this final segment for you, Jared, to just kind of lay everything out. And as we get into this and talk a little bit more about the uh, the ancient technology, go back into the Basilica of St. Ambrosio, I wanted to ask you, or at least kind of imply leading to your comment, about if you've got something that's two, three, four thousand years old, and it's incredibly complex and advanced, now, whether or not it's as advanced as what we have today um, or it's more advanced than what we have today, you also have to consider that there is a large period of time or some large period of time that was obviously needing to be available to those people to develop those ideas and to develop the complexity of that mathematics or you talk about receipts and sumer and you know, uh, business transactions, things that were documented like that shows a level of cultural development that's beyond loincloths. That shows a, a level of, uh, you know, technological, um, philosophical, mathematical, engineering, scientific, you know, textiles, material research. Like there's a lot of stuff that goes into that. Even if it was 4000 years old dated, the, the ideas for these types of things, the development of them have to go back hundreds, if not another thousand or more years does that does that make sense am, am i on target there 
Yeah, because there has to be a larger society functioning and communicating and doing water and sewer and trash and a number of activities that don't involve just barely getting by and, hey, we're starting a couple farms. This, there's a significant level of connectedness within these cities and or city-states that have connected them in a way where they have time to have a Babylonian Plimpton tablet and to have a teacher's aid and to have classrooms and to have class environments. It's not like they just thought of it. We found the one tablet. And that's it, right? They just found one tablet. That's it. It's an anomaly. We don't know. what. I mean, even that, that doesn't make any sense to me. Like, it's just an anomaly. Okay, well, the anomaly shows that everything we thought we knew is wrong. Like, at some point, yeah, some, yeah. somebody didn't create that as a joke and just leave it there 4,000 years ago. Or 2,000 years ago. It's not like a gag. <laughs> right? No. Yeah, no. And, and that's the, uh, that's, that's the, that's exactly the issue. Cause, you know, the YBC 7289 tablet, the 322, uh, again, they, from redoing the math on ziggurats and some of the other sumer structures, it's clear that pi was involved or, uh, well, what's said is it's, oh, it's just coincidental that the radiuses on these structures work out to pi. It's just coincidence. Well, what do you do with when you, when you look at the environment around a world that involves this base 60 math and the trigonometry that is, uh, within just the Babylonian Plumpton tablet? Again, this is a society that, like you said, let's just say that they were as primitive as hell. And they really weren't that very far advanced, but they were really bored and really good at math. Well, they weren't. This isn't math that you get good at because the last thing you were doing was building a cabin or building a small wooden structure. This isn't math that's needed for anything to that degree. It is needed for projectiles. It's needed for calculating artillery. It's that there's a there's a minimum. They could have been really interested in war, and you could speculate that this trigonometry allowed them to figure out the arcs and turns of uh, ballistas of whether it be wood or stone or some sort of projectile, uh, slingshots, arrows, some sort of a compound bow that's disintegrated. There's a lot of different ways that you could look at it from a military standpoint that said, well, this technology was clearly military oriented, but, but they're looking at it now and saying, well, this tablet looks like a teacher's aid. And so was it in a military school? But we don't know that. Do you think it's not going to be the only tablet we find? You think there's, let let me say this in a, it's just a speculative way and, and people can call it conspiratorial, but just an idea. Like, I've read literally hundreds of thousands of artifacts were stolen, just disappeared from that Baghdad museum. Um, and many had warned that there were going to be these types of thefts and that we know the U.S. military, among others, went in and took things. Now, I'm not saying every single artifact, but do you think that if some of this mathematics and some of these artifacts are so advanced or some of this technology is so advanced that even we can't do it today, that maybe it's being taken, cataloged, analyzed, and it's it's almost like trolling and mocking and making fun of the public by maintaining these institutional, ultimately what they are, lies, while maybe the military and corporations take this stuff and they study it to develop technologies today out of things from the past. 
Is that kind of over any target that you've thought about? Yeah, unfortunately, it's even come up recently with my publisher, Olaf Phillips. His Some of the, his sources, when he's looking at some of these secret space programs and you know, just not only from his research for his personal book, but for just the word of mouth is that some people within the government, I guess, secondhand through Olaf is said to be maybe even, I thought it was like 20 to 50, maybe 75 years ahead. Olaf's heard numbers that know some of the technology is 150 years ahead. And I can't fathom that our governments are so one-upping each other that they are quietly and secretly that far ahead of each other on, on, on the ultimate who's got the quick, fast, quick draw on the showdown at noon, like old West style. Are they really just playing with technology back and forth and back and forth because they're ultimately really worried. Like, are we really just in a cold war and it's just continuing and it's just, it's just a matter of them constantly rushing to collect this technology. I think prior to modern governments, it was religious organizations that have been around, including the Catholic Church. I think that, you know, finding this ancient technology may have been a combination of there's always zealots. There's always faithful of every faith. So there are plenty of people who have found things that have destroyed things and burned things because in the name of their faith, it was pagan. It was wrong. So they just destroyed it. So that, I think, helps an ancient high tech group of humans to just say, well, shit, we don't need to worry about them refining that now, do we? And then. Then it's like, oh, we should have found that one the last time we came out of hiding. And I guess we didn't notice that. Well, they haven't figured out what the Great Pyramid is for. and They don't know what cymatic polygonal construction is. Well, you know, but then I think that there were organizations within organizations. And that's where we start talking secret societies or groups within the Catholic Church, whoever they are, or whatever, you know, whatever the stories are of the Da Vinci Code sort of Illuminati sort of genre of people. And or governments where eventually there's a crossover where I think certain organizations maybe had one piece of technology and they unfortunately deified the one piece of technology. So it, they might be getting a response out of it, but they're not really using it properly. They don't even really understand it, but they've had it in their possession for 500, 1,000, 2,000 years and they've created a whole tradition around it. And I recently have been rereading Asimov and I just read a quote from him recently in his book, Pebble, Pebble in the Sky. And the quote was, people are not interested in the truth. People are interested in their traditions. And so I think there's a combo of maybe just people willfully ignoring the obvious, like in the very street, the average person just ignoring the truth, ignoring the science, just wanting to believe what they want to believe. And then there's these intentional organizations that have been around mystifying something that they might have a partial truth out of, but they've been holding on to it for so long and deifying it and coveting it for so long. They've mislabeled and they don't understand what they really truly possess. It's not anything to be worshipped or deified. It's just an old piece of technology, but they have it as a fragment of another fragment of what is really a larger holistic world that I do think that whether it's a global government or if it's individual uh, post-World War I to governments around the world, where we definitely have a modern collection center of whether it's a single depository, one organization, or these individual governments, they're clearly managing 
what we're finding. And we see remnants of that in the Smithsonian in news articles of, you know, something's found at a site. This is Smithsonian comes out. Everything that was found is taken. <laughs> or there are plenty of archaeologists that can uh, talk about in Egypt. Well, we found this, this and this. And that's as far as I'll go. And the Ministry of Antiquities comes and they collect those things. And those are not what's in the news. What's in the news is a uh, hundred new sarcophaguses are found, which was just a couple days ago. And to tie it all in to, you know, what we're looking at, you have some things that are going to be really hard to refute. So looking at, Let's just start again at the, I guess, do we have time to yeah, kind of do this kind of summation? We've got like a le- so, little under 17 minutes. If you want to summarize, I'll just give you the floor. And if you could go back at some point and just mention the uh, Basilica of St. Ambrosio and how they have that that very, very, very thin coating that just like stuff we can't do today. So I don't think you got to finish that point, but go ahead. Yeah, no, that's actually, that's, I think, that's where we're going to start, and then we're going to go back to Sumer, and I think this is where, when you shift the paradigms, when you stop being mystical, when you stop making something religious, or stop making something holy and sacred, not that people don't have holy and sacred things in their life, but I'm talking about mystifying what is really just remnant, ancient, human, high technologies, and 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 stop, it, it blurs the line, even with this it's hard to even see how standard academia has control of the narrative if you can't look at the technology. And yeah, so this is uh, we're looking at uh, a leaping lion that was made of ceramic wrapped in a thin layer of copper. It has a single layer, one thousandths of a millimeter thick. And this is something that is difficult. We're we're talking about uh, San Ambrosio. It's 825 AD, and the paneling and the application of metal to this nano level, this is was looked at by at the Institute of Nanostructured Materials in Rome, Italy. They wrote in an article published in the Accounts of Chemical Research, A, uh, this is July 2013, in quotes, the high level of competence reached by artists and craftsmen of these ancient periods who produced objects of an artistic quality that could not be bettered in ancient times and has yet been reached in modern ones. And where I'm going to pause on that is this is the Institute of Nanostructured Materials in Rome. And this is a 2013 look at this. This is their published work. So they've been working on it. But prior to that, I think nanoarchaeology is going to be the future of the saving grace on of a massive new field and not only reconstructing large buildings that have been crushed to dust, but which sounds impossible, but I think it's going to be possible using quantum computing and or supercomputers. We will be able to put together things that in the past we would have considered completely gone to the wind. But how this matters to what we've discussed today is this nanostructured materials research of this thin coating of metal is from 2000 years ago. So let's rewind another 1,700 years. So almost 30, well, over 3,700 years ago and almost 4,000 years ago, there was math in the Babylonian Plimpton tablet and in the YBC 
and in other unfound or undocumented or currently not discussed today documents that show math that include a system of governing whether you're building or calculating a construction for maybe just a statue or possibly military use. Back in its day, the metal plating technology, including the Baghdad battery, which is semi-contemporary with our 2,000-year-ago example, but here we are at 3,700 years ago, we have only found these clay tablets. Partially, first thing to think about now is that because things made of metal would have been readapted or used, and if they were solid gold, that's a more elementary process than these coatings and these plating technologies. So we have to look and say, had they rediscovered and reinvented the technology 2,000 years ago? Or was it part of a declining culture that had become a mythified or mystified or a tradition like masonry or other craftsmen that had passed on their trade, which was common throughout all ages, even from the Middle Ages and blacksmiths and the metallurgy of this day at 4,000 years ago could have been higher and this nano-level metal plating could have been more common, but we don't have anything left, nor when we know that Sumer is now not the center of the world, we know now that India had a vast, complex culture that we're only starting to look at, the hairpin in uh, northern and middle India. And that's only from what we've excavated because, again, marine archaeology suggests even back into the 90s when Graham Hancock was diving miles off the coast of India, there are ruins, not just there, but we talked about this last time off the coast of Cuba, and we mentioned the LIDAR scans in Guatemala. The reality is is that we have 4,000 years ago indications <laughs> of a worldwide culture that may have been easily in control of not just math, but the, the just everything across the board you can't just get so far advanced in one category without having advanced in other technologies, sociologically, verbally. As in Shakespeare uh, was contemporary. You can't assume that, well, you know, they made really good silk clothes and they had time to think of writing really cool things that are Shakespearean. Yeah, okay. But they also figured out sailing. And there's a lot of technologies with leather and stitching and uh, some general some general things that were new and interesting. But the kind of math that we were seeing in just these two tablets and the kind of technology in the Antikythera device, which we only touched on a little bit, and its calculations of the stars and the processions and the moon and astronomical observations, which, are, again, are at this point at a Greek point, but prior – all said and done, we have to let our imaginations run a lot more and be open to seeing that it's not accidental that the pie was involved in the creation of these larger structures in Sumer, that this metal plating technology could have been applied or derived from what was even a higher technology that could have involved, I'm not going to say cell phones and laptops and things like that, but what was six or eight or 9,000 years ago may be very well 
gone and dusted and buried or, or submerged from Doggerland in Europe all the way to Scotland, Doggerland, which is an easy thing to look up, all the way through India and Japan to societies that we don't look at as a snapshot of a worldwide culture. We have had this paradigm that Sumer is where everything started, that the Anunnaki and these gold stories and that there wasn't a worldwide culture. The only way those mythologies and those deifications and those mm-hmm. legends and myths work are if we stick with the paradigms we've had and as Westerners don't acknowledge that there is a wider and broader existence of humanity that was capable and was producing much higher technology with measurements that could have only then be applied, not just in math and writing, but three-dimensionally using machines and metal and material objects that would have, again, been recycled, turned to dust, just been melted down and turned into sharp, pointy sticks. But we don't have that yet to have been found in any remnant technology. We have nano-structured materials research centers that are looking into the past now, And that's just slowly but surely with objects that they know of. But we have to consider now, not as a wild out there theory, but the truth is, is that these other ancillary technologies would have had the machines and whether it's in art, in clothing, the actual buildings that they lived in, the styles that may have remained in their hair or makeup that these are not just anthropological interests for the time, but they may be pointers to earlier and earlier higher technology. And that's just superficial. We're still not talking about genetics. We're still not talking about abilities, superhuman abilities like synesthesia. We're just looking at some very complex nanostructures and complex math that is more than what we could use now but is what we can definitely value for computing and for structured engineering to this day in a way that we didn't know uh, we would even look at math, and they were already doing it. So we have to take, we have to mimic what we're doing with it today and try to really, the hardest thing about this is to say we don't know and to superimpose these possibilities back on the ruins we're finding and rely on now more on new technologies like LIDAR and satellite imaging like Sarah Parkak developed and won the TED prize for. And we need to mix it all right down to the fact that the dust in the ground around the grave might not just hold chemical contents of uh, what was in the human body of that mummy or burial that we find, but that the dust that we're looking at might actually be the remnants of an Antikythera device or a gold-plated altar. And I I, but, I have a, just as an example, I, I don't know what you think about this, but I bought, looking at my desk here, I have like one example that stands out to me. I bought this little solid-state hard drive, and just in a couple of years, it went from like the disk drive, which was big and bulky, to this little SSD. And I look at it and it just looks like a piece of plastic, like something random that my son picks up and like puts in his mouth that he's got like a a thousand pieces of these in his little toy chest. Right. But if that was just like found, it just looks like a piece of plastic 
And if you don't open it up, and, and even if you do open it up, it might just, I don't know what it looks like inside, but you might not understand the components. So we just kind of throw that away. Oh, that's not worth anything. I mean, that seems to be how a lot of, it's not just archaeology, but that seems to be how we address and look at a lot of things. We were looking for that giant megalithic structure, but then like we pointed out on the last show, Jared, what about the soil that this thing is built on? Or what about that that very, very, very thin layer that we talked about on the the statue on the uh, at well, at that um what was the cathedral um Saint what was the cathedral we talked about a few minutes Ambrosia. ago yeah 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 exactly so like those are things that are really glaring and really obvious when your attention is brought to them but if we're just focused on how big the building is or we're just focused yeah. on like like literally somebody without joking told me this well I used to talk about archaeology on. Uh, WPRK radio in Orlando, Florida, when I first began. And people would say to me, well, if they don't have like tablets, then clearly they're not as advanced as us. And they were dead serious. It was like if we don't have, they didn't have Apple, so they're not as advanced as us. And I always thought like, I don't know a lot about this yet. This was like 10 years ago, 11 years ago. But I thought, I don't know a lot, but I don't think that's right. <laughs> I <Yeah>. just, <laughs> but, but, well, it, I think, you know, you said right. something earlier that. Oh, go ahead. No, I said we, I said, uh, we have three minutes left. So if you can, you want to su- summarize real quick, and I have a very, very quick question. If you can answer it, and then and then we're out of time. But go ahead. Oh no, start with the question. Let's go with the question. Okay, so I had a lot of things written down. I wanted to talk about the stone spheres in Costa Rica, the Clerkstorp spheres, but we don't have time. We'll do that on another show. But you did say genetics. If if you can summarize in like sixty seconds your opinion and what you think about that genetic disc, I think it was found in Peru. I've heard like three, three and a half, four thousand year old dating. I don't know about the details of that. Is that is that, a, is that you know uh, about to that? To be honest, I have not. I don't think I've heard about that. Oh well, great. Well, maybe we should both look it up and we'll both talk about it on the next show. It's called the genetic disc. I think it's in a museum. Yeah. I think it's in a museum. It basically is like the size of a frisbee, and it shows the entire process of like sperm entering the egg and oh. then. So yeah, yeah. You okay. do you yeah. do know that? Uh, okay. No, I know uh, what's his name. Uh, the the Austrian uh, showcases that piece. Um, I'm why am I blanking on his name right now? He does the satellite imaging. He speaks all over the world. He's Austrian, and I'm completely blanking on him right now. But yeah, sorry. What was the last question? Well, well, that was the one thing I wanted to know about. But if if I can just fire these other two off to you, the Pyramid of Giza. As people ask me this all the time. You mentioned like a power generator, but what about um, a water pump? We, we've interviewed Stephen Myers about that. What do you think about that? I think the full process and complexity of that whole, that whole, there's water there. So something that a lot of people don't know is that there is extensive multi-leveled tunnel systems. And it's not just one or two tunnel systems, but there are multiple depths. And that entire area had more than, first off, there wasn't three pyramids. At a minimum, there was seven on that plateau in that exact area. The Giza Plateau, by the way, is a misnomer. It's it's many square miles and includes many, many cities of the ancient world. But of the three pyramids and of that exact area, I think that water was a part of that entire that entire power plant and or communication center. I don't think it had one purpose. I don't think it was just power. I don't think it was just communication. 
I don't think that water wasn't not a part of it. I think that the whole thing was interconnected in a way because there, the Osirion has water, natural springs that feed it. And there's got to be a reason to that. And there's just too many interesting things about the shafts. And one of the hardest things to find about that plateau are accurate drawings. Also, there's an extent which is not talked about much in Egyptology, despite everyone knowing it's there, is the extent of those tunnel systems and the complexity of them. That That's a whole other topic. We can talk about that with another friend of mine that's an archaeologist that is, has a lot more to say on it. There's a lot of stuff I wrote down. I have a little piece of paper that I want to talk about next time with you. Jared Murphy, it's not aliens worse. It's us discovering our lost history. Any final comments? Oh, I appreciate everyone listening and you having me on again. This is great. We'll have to do it again. We'll kind of uh, maybe like start a little series with Jared. What do you think about that? Yeah, I, I would love to. And it's just uh, once, you know, once we get started getting into it, you can see how easily it is. I think for, there's a lot of rabbit holes and a lot of questions and it's just not a resolvable or solvable topic quickly. No, it's not. And it's like anything that's, um, complex. It might seem easier to simplify complexity, but then you miss a lot of the details that are necessary. And I think when you have the details and you understand the complexity, that's when things become simplified. Mm -hmm. And that's what I'm trying to do here on The Secret Teachings, whether it's archaeology or last night we talked about pre-crime. Monday we talked about fake meat. We talk about a lot of stuff on The Secret Teachings. Jared, thank you so much for joining us. What's the website? Where can listeners get the book? Yeah, if you'd like to get a signed copy, I actually will sign them and I will send them out at notaliens.com. And then you can find it, of course, at Amazon. You can just get a copy there for a little bit less for a few dollars more. You can get it from Not Aliens. I'm also on YouTube at Not Aliens, but I'll be porting that over to a membership-only area eventually at Not Aliens here, hopefully in the next few weeks. And as you pointed out earlier, later... Next week, you will be able to hear me live on the Fringe FM on Wednesday. Unless the cabal stifles it, Jared will be live <sighs> on the Fringe FM. And thank you. Oh, for, def- oh, go ahead. Oh, yeah, we'll definitely blame it on them if, if there's any shenanigans. It's totally the cabal. And uh, I appreciate you writing me this note in the copy you sent me of the book. Your ability to be banned from shows is epic. I appreciate it. <laughs> <laughs> You're welcome. All right, Jared Murphy, have a good night. This is The Secret Teachings. I'm Ryan Gable, your host. Go to the website, subscribe, www.thesecretteachings.info, the email rdgable at yahoo.com, social media, facebook.com forward slash The Secret Teachings. When you support us, the network, and yourself, you allow us to bring you this content with great guests like Jared Monday through Friday right here on The Fringe FM. Time may be up for tonight's broadcast of The Secret Teachings, but don't worry, you can still catch us Monday through Friday right here exclusively on The Fringe FM. You can also subscribe to the show and montage archive while grabbing my books at thesecretteachings.info. To get in contact with us, you can email the show at rdgable at yahoo.com. Stay tuned to KTLK Digital Broadcasting, The Fringe FM.